new CBS Monday. Federal agents! Hands where we can see them! NCIS Hawaii is back. About to set it up! New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violent Island, you got here. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We actually have a lot to talk to you guys about today and multiple sports. We'll talk about USC basketball, another buzzer beater against the rival UCLA. So we'll get into that. Shotgun, you were there, so we can get your clear commentary as well. We'll talk about USC's 2021 football schedule. We got that on Tuesday of this week. Seems pretty favorable for the Trojans, so we'll get into that and the expectations heading into the season. And we'll also talk about a new commit that USC picked up on Friday. We'll get into what the Trojans are getting with him. Of course, you can call us uh, 5124-TUNNEL. I believe Micah, our intern, is standing by. And you can also put your comment, question, concern down in either Facebook or YouTube, and I'll put it up on the screen. We're back to putting it up on the screen. Hopefully, we'll have no technical difficulties this week, so uh, that'll be fun. But uh, like like we always do, we watch your, your comments, so be sure to talk to us. We love hearing from you guys. Like I said, we're going to talk about some basketball. I know that's shocking, Ryan. A little, little bit. A little bit, but we're going to talk about it. They didn't win the Pac-12, so you can't talk about a lot. You know? it, it was... Oregon State didn't didn't pull their their magic for USC in that yeah. sense. They lost to Oregon tonight, so USC does not win the Pac-12 at least uh, this version. They could go to the tournament. Shotgun, you were there yesterday. What did you see from the Trojans in that last minute buzzer beater? You know, a dramatic shot from from Tajidi to to be able to to pull it out for USC. Uh, you know, a game they trailed the entire game. Did not did not lead. But 1.3 seconds, I believe it was, 1.7, however much time was on the clock when that, that shot splashed through. Uh, they started slow, and then Chris Kapko, one of their assistant coaches, you know, got into the player's face during a timeout and, you know, really challenged them. And they responded. After that, you know, USC shot really well from the field and their defensive intensity picked up and they looked like the team that, you know, could make a run in the NCAA tournament. Is that going to happen? That's going to that's be dependent on if they make some shots. They struggled at the free throw line again. They struggled at the three-point line. Those, you know, they're... they're their biggest warts were kind of um, on display yesterday, and they still found a way to win against a pretty good UCLA team. Not a, not a great UCLA team. They were missing their leading scorer, Giant Juzang. USC was without Isaiah White, you know, one of their starting guards as well. But it was a, a battle back and forth. And, you know, the, the one thing I said to Keeley, you know, that's unfortunate for Tajidi is that it wasn't a packed house. You know, you would love to have seen, uh, you know, the Poly Pavilion just go silent. 
um, after he hit that shot because that's what exactly what would have happened. It kind of happened in the arena because we could hear pretty much everything. And the PA announcer, there was some uh, crowd noise being pumped in. Shot goes in. They they shoot the desperation heave. Everything goes silent. He goes, oh, that's the ball game. UCLA uh, loses to UC- USC. <laughs> and that was pretty much it. And it was just like, what? It just so dramatic and so quick change it basically there because USC didn't have a timeout, so they just had to play it out. They couldn't call a timeout to, to design a play there. They tried to run an alley-oop play to Evan Mobley to tie the game potentially. Instead, uh, I, Ethan Anderson's about to be out of time. He's about to fall in bounds, passes to Tajidi, and he just makes a dramatic shot. A big win for USC to give them some momentum going into towards the, the Pac-12 tournament where you know they have a good shot of being able to, to make a run there as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Shotgun, what are you expecting for next week in the Pac-12 tournament? So USC will be the number two seed because of Oregon State's uh, losing to Oregon. Oregon wins the conference based on win percentage. USC finishes the season with the most wins in conference. However, because the the Pac-12 determined before the season began that no matter how many games are played, whoever has the best win percentage is going to be be the winner. So technically, if you look at the standings chart, USC is zero games back uh, of Oregon. However, they end up tied. You know, there's no tiebreaker here because of win percentage. Oregon will get it because they played less games than USC. Now, going to the Pac-12 tournament, USC will be the two seed. The big concern is the number three seed is Colorado. You know, and that's a team they've really struggled with. So they would have to get over that hump to potentially make it to the championship round. We'll see how they how they go about it. Their first game will be on Thursday at 5:30 p.m. It'll be on the Pac-12 network. So that actually probably plays in the USC's favor because they played really well when games have been on the Pac-12 network. They'll play the winner of Utah versus Washington. Oregon actually by winning they played 11:30 a.m. So USC does you know avoid the potential you know difficult timing. early morning yeah that yeah. that's usually a struggle for a Thursday game for for student athletes so uh, you know you avoid that you play at a normal time and then if you win you know you you play at a normal time the rest of the tournament as well for USC so got a good chance but. You know, they, they have to play well and they have to make some shots. And that's been the big key for them. They could get some redemption along the way because they would play U- potentially play Utah. I think they'll win that game uh, against Washington. And then they'll play potentially Colorado. So they could get redemption for the trip that kept them from being the outright Pac-12 tournament champion. I mean, t- Pac-12 regular season champions, that mountain trip. So Pac-12, you know, the way things worked out, it didn't go in USC's favor as far as Oregon playing less games, them not playing at UCLA. Uh, John Wilner had a good article on that. That sounds like it's partly UCLA's fault that that, that didn't happen because they kept denying uh, pl- playing that game earlier in the season because they didn't want to play uh, three games in a week. So uh, that's the way it kind of played out, and USC just kind of has to take the take the measure there. And they got a good opportunity to, to continue to build some momentum towards the NCAA tournament because they will be playing the NCAA tournament. This next week is about seeding for them. So play good and, and knock down some shots, and they can you know, make an impact and make a run in the Pac-12 tournament and then set themselves up for a trip to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Ryan, All right. We'll wrap that up. I was about to say, Ryan, are you okay? We're done with that. No more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we'll get some questions, guys. We yeah, send your basketball We will not answer those we'll questions. Answer those. Uh, Scott on Periscope's like, Ryan needs to add a basketball at his desk. I do not. No, we don't need to talk about <laughs> maybe, that. Maybe. Maybe you do. They get, we can talk about them again if they make the Final Four. That'll be the next time we can talk about the basketball We'll talk team. about sure. them again next week, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be in Vegas for, for the Pac-12 tournament. I oh. uh, just found out this morning that I've been credentialed there. So we'll be going out there, and we'll see if USC can make a little little run and you know put together some magic. Look at that. Right? You okay? You doing yeah, okay? Yeah, we're moving on. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Periscope is still alive and well, even though we've said it won't be in March. 
That's what it was supposed to be, be you know, end of life. In, uh, that, was, <laughs> uh, that was the, announce, the announcement and in March of 2021. Uh, it's still around right now. So we're, you know, what, uh, a week into March. So we're, we got a bunch of people that are on Periscope. So nice. if you're on there, great. Keep watching. And crew. when they shut it down, I guess we'll stop broadcasting on Periscope. Okay. So but hopefully we can do it on Twitter. I'm just not sure what the. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. We'll we we want to be on all platforms. That's for sure. So. Moving on to football, USC got its 2021 full schedule on Tuesday. Ryan, you and I talked about it. Shotgun, you and I talked about it. This is the first time we all three together are talking about it. But it seems like the the main theme from all of us is that this is a very manageable and favorable schedule for the Trojans. For sure. And what just to be clear, what was determined wasn't the who was going to be on the schedule. That yes. was already determined. They just needed to know what the Pac-12 schedule was going to look like. They'd have to work around the opener against San Jose State, the middle of the season road trip uh, to... South Bend to play uh, Notre Dame, and then the season finale against BYU. Something they've scheduled. When was that scheduled? Like 2013 or something? It was early. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was a long time ago. So it was like two I or three trips. <laughs> yeah, it was like two or three trips for BYU to the Coliseum, and then one USC ended up going to Provo and lost uh, that game. Uh, was it two years ago? I guess it was. Yes, yeah, 2019. 2019. Um, so the games were already determined. USC moved on. Now, so what's favorable for USC? One. Last year, you had a much harder schedule because you didn't have to play Notre Dame, playoff team. You didn't have to play Alabama that was on the schedule, playoff team. You didn't end up playing Washington that won the Pac-12 North uh, but then couldn't play in the championship game. And then, uh, you know, you didn't have to play at Oregon like you're supposed to. You ended up playing them uh, in the Coliseum for the Pac-12 championship game. And, you know, obviously USC ended up losing that. So there's some favorableness to that that Oregon and Washington are now gone. You, there were supposed to be two years, 2019, 2020. Only got one of those years playing the tougher of the Pac-12 North teams from that group. And then now you get Oregon State and Washington State this time around. So no Alabama, no Oregon, no Washington, no weekday games, uh, no road trip, uh, you know, at, if, whatever, playing a Friday road trip, all that stuff that you could like kind of, oh, that doesn't really look good. Not, you know, not having every week USC, the teams USC plays have extra time to get ready for the church. Like all that kind of weird stuff that can happen in the schedule did not. It's almost like USC administration handpicked the schedule, which I think there was some, some grief. <laughs> I think there's some workings behind the scenes from uh, USC's administration to make sure that they weren't going to be put at a disadvantage. So you still got to play all those games. You still got to win all those games. But there's not going to be a time where you're like, man, you got to go on back-to-back -back road trips and the other team's off a bye. You know, all that yeah. kind of stuff is is out of the equation. So to me, no excuses whatsoever. USC is going to be the most talented team in the Pac-12. They should win the Pac-12 championship in 2021. That's, the, for me, bottom line. Like, that's the, the low bar for USC. If you want to have an acceptable season, it's winning the Pac-12. They haven't done it since 2017. You got to do it in 2021 where everything is set up. Uh, for success for USC. Has the new talent composite come out yet? No, I don't think it comes out until... So this is a 24-7 talent composite. So basically it takes all of your recruiting rankings of all those players and anyone that's you know not on the roster. So if you signed like the number one recruiting class and half the, the, uh, the class transferred out, those aren't going to count anymore. So it's basically your roster, who's on the roster. Oregon's creeping up there. I, yeah. I'm guessing USC is still going to have it, but I don't think that comes out till like July or August. Okay, Shadi, your takes on the schedule. My initial reaction when I you know woke up and saw how it laid out was just, oh, <laughs> which was because there's no 
No, no games that aren't on Saturdays. You know, it's all Saturday games. It's all on the line. And then as I started looking at it more, you, you know, just looking at it and saying, wow, this this could work out really well for USC. And we discussed this on the Family Feud podcast about how like, it feels like every every game that you're like, oh, this could be dangerous if isn't happening. So it'd be like, oh, it could be dangerous to play at Colorado if it's later in the season. It could be more dangerous to play Notre Dame if you're not coming off a bye. You know, there's a lot of things that kind of, you know, situate out for USC in that regard, I think, uh, on this schedule. You know, it could be dangerous to play Washington State a little bit later in the season if Jaden Delora gets a little bit more experience. I think it's better to play. A lot of the games, it's just like, I think it's better to play them at this time in the, in the year, so it works out for USC in that regard. Now, looking at the schedule, I, I was thinking about this coming in. You know, if you're playing NCAA football and you're putting your schedule together, you guys remember back five, six years now, hopefully we'll get it back soon. Um, you're building out your schedule before the season and you go, okay, I need to add in some some strength there to, to be able to, to build up the strength of schedule to, to get a better opportunity to play in a big bowl game or to play in a you know the BCS championship back then. Um, but that's what it kind of feels like. It's like there's no real strength there. So USC, that puts much, that much more pressure – on going undefeated or being a one-loss team if you actually want to be a, a team that's fighting for a college football playoff spot because you drop two games and people are going to look at that schedule and be like, there's no quality wins on there. You know, Even if you beat Notre Dame and you still still lose two games, you can go, eh, they didn't really beat anybody. They, they got one good win. Um, so I, I think that's a big concern uh, for this schedule if you're looking at the big picture about trying to get to a college football playoff. Now, can they win tw- 12 games? They are capable. They are. They have the potential. Have they shown the consistency? No, they haven't done that in almost a decade. So it's a big question mark for me. You know, with, without the big name games on there, then you know, how do you kind of stand out? Um, or even if USC goes undefeated or goes eleven and one, people are going to look at it and be like, "It's the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 is not very good." So, you know, th- there are a little bit of concerns there as far as the national perception of the schedule. But it, looking at it from USC's perspective, like, we should be able to win every single game. Yeah, yeah. I said on the Family Feud podcast that this is a CFP schedule, not in the sense of strength of schedule, but you should be able to make your way into the Bachelor Championship. And if you're a USC fan, hope they win that. And if you win your conference championship, you have to be in the CFP conversation just because uh, – conference championship and the USC brand is that strong but Ryan what were your takes on on what Shotgun just said yeah no it makes sense too and just looking at it when you're things lining up um is there any road trips to cold weather places in like November no you don't have any of that stuff Arizona State I think back-to-back like Pacific Northwest trips you know back-to-back road games up there in November so I mean there's a lot of things that could have worked out better. You might get a little bump from a San Jose State. They were seven and one last year. Mm-hmm. You know, they were the, the highest ranked team uh, in California. So, then, I mean, yeah. you know, if they win the Mountain West again or, or, or something close, maybe points wise, but it's still going to be a win over San Jose State. But if they're like a ten win San Jose State, it's you know, it's something. BYU, you know, we'll see what they look like at the end of the season. That might be a an intriguing matchup. But you're right; it kind of puts a lot of pressure on that Notre Dame game. And you don't have Oregon on the schedule where you could get a boost. Um, you know, you have to play them uh, in the Pac-12 championship game. I think you're going to need to root for someone in the North to be undefeated. It's sort of like what we talked about in 2020. You wanted two 6-0 and teams to make it. Obviously, no one ended up doing that because there, you know people lost games and everything. But there's opportunities there for USC. But it does put a lot of pressure on them. I don't think a 9-3 and USC team that wins the Pac-12 
I don't think that's good enough either because you're not going to be in the conversation for a college football playoff. You're going to have to be like 11-1, and one, and the USC brand would help you if they go like undefeated in the Pac-12 and maybe lose to Notre Dame. If Notre Dame's like amazing and a, and a you know, playoff team sure. again. But there is a lot of pressure. If you want to try to make the college football playoff, you're talking about championships, national championships, which a lot of USC fans want to talk about. You got to try to make the college football playoff. You've never done that before. Uh, you know, been Clay Helton around this whole era and hasn't really, you know, sniffed at it. This is an opportunity, this schedule with the talent you have to do it. But that means not losing games you shouldn't lose and really performing in the, the couple of the tough ones that you're going to have on the schedule, you know, spe specifically Notre Dame. I think you got to beat that team and uh, you got to go undefeated in the Pac-12. So we'll see what they're able to do. But I mean, I would say that, like I said, the low bar is winning the Pac-12 championship. I think you should be able to do more than that. So, you know, they haven't won it since 2017. You got to go out there and win it. Just win those games. You're the, A lot of teams you should beat on the schedule. So just go out there and beat them. That's the key and what we've seen the last couple of years. There's what USC should do and what they yeah. end up doing. And sometimes those two don't match up. What were you going to say, Shotgun? Yeah, those two don't always align there. But uh, the the point you made about San Jose State, I think that could definitely be a booster game down the, the stretch. you got to win that game. They're bringing back their quarterback. They kept their coach. So I think, um, I, you know, I mentioned previously that it's like the Western Michigan game, except this team should be a lot better because Western Michigan was losing their star player in Corey Davis and they lost their head coach, PJ Fleck. This is what San Jose is bringing back. Now you should still be able to be, beat them. But I think because of that, because they're bringing those pieces back, that gives them a great opportunity to go into the Mountain West and potentially dominate that. And if they, you beat them in opening week and then they go undefeated the rest of the way, then that, sta that, that game will stand out a lot more um, for USC. BYU, you would think that, hey, maybe they would be a, a booster game like that in a similar way, but I don't think they're going to do so well next year. One, you're losing Zach Wilson, but they've got a pretty tough schedule uh, with some of the teams that they're playing there. They're playing four or five um, teams from the Pac-12 as well, so I, I don't think that's going to be a great booster game at the end of the season for you. you just got to take care of business. Could be a, That could be actually be the trap game for the Trojans. Um, on the schedule, but Trek Ranger, you know, he's one of our, our great listeners out there. But he asked, "How many years have we been saying easy schedule? We should be in the championship, and then the Helton effect happens." That's not the case, though. You know, you looked at the schedule coming into 2020. You said, "Wow, this is going to be a really tough schedule." Alabama, at Oregon, all those things that Ryan talked about. You looked at some of the other schedule. You know, the previous schedules. You go, "Why are they playing on front on Saturday at a, on a road game and then traveling to Washington State?" for a Friday game. That doesn't make any sense. There's several things that always seem to be like, why is this happening? That uh, You shouldn't be doing that to a team that you want to tr potentially prop up. Now, you, the team has to win the games, but you can make the schedule a little bit easier without you know adding extra circumstances to that schedule. So that's something that Pac-12 has not done well for their top teams, which other conferences have done really well uh, of kind of boosting them up and saying, hey, here's your opportunity. Go make the most of it. The Pac-12 hasn't done that. They're like, hey, here you're stuck with this game. You're, you're going to you know, Colorado on you know, November 15th. You know, it's going to be freezing. Too bad. Get over it. Um, so that it ha they haven't played things out that way. So that's what we're talking about here, Trek, is that USC, this schedule iteration is much, you know, is taking out all those extra variables that you could potentially have and putting it just straight forward and saying, hey, show up or, 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 or you know, don't be don't try to don't try to uh, convince us that you're the premier program uh, in the conference anymore. Yeah. Real quick, Keely. Yeah. As far as the Pac-12 schedule goes, I mean, obviously, you know, no Oregon, no Washington, but just in general for the Pac-12, 
On the plus side, there are a lot of there's a lot of production coming back. If you look at some of the teams, they're among the Pac-12 the highest percentage of production returning, like starters and stuff like 80%, stuff like that. But there's not a lot of great starting quarterbacks returning, especially in the Pac-12 North. The South, you got you know Keaton Slovis and Jaden Daniels and Dorian Thompson Robinson over at UCLA. But you know Oregon's lose their quarterback, Washington, Stanford. I mean, so there's a lot of teams in the North that you're like, oh, they could be pretty good, but they have to replace a quarterback again. So a lot of production coming back. So there could you know some could be some feisty teams. But as far as quarterbacks go, like you got to look for the Pac-12 South. It's, it's between Jaden Daniels, DTR, and Keaton Slovis, I think, for the best returning guys. Yeah. And Utah should be could be dangerous, too, because of the transfers they got into position as well. Yeah. They got a lot of you know, guys on the roster, but what whoever played against USC last year, what's his name? I forget. He transferred out. Cameron, uh, Cameron Rising started the game, and then Jake Bentley, the, the grad transfer from South Carolina, he transferred again. Yeah. Bentley um, is out, and Rising is not going to be able to participate in the spring, spring yeah. but he'll be able to – he should be able, available for the fall. He was the starter last year. USC knocked him out. So and they, they also bring in Charles Brewer or Charlie Brewer from, from Baylor – um, who started there. So they're going to have a good competition there. I think that's a team that has some some talent at the quarterback position. You know, obviously they have not had a Pac-12 experience, but I think, and I think Oregon, I think that one might be actually an addition by subtraction just from seeing the way that Tyler Shuff threw the ball um, in, in the in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, we'll see how their offense, maybe they change things. What do they try to do with, with the next quarterback they bring in there? Now, something that Shaka mentioned on the Family Feud podcast, he kind of like half-heartedly circled November 13th at Cal as a trap game. And Ryan, since Chase Garbers is your guy, yeah, what are your thoughts on that take? I mean, it, Cal, it's funny. Cal and Oregon swapped a bunch of assistant coaches. Uh, Tim DeRuiter, who I liked a lot. Uh, he's at Oregon now. Um, so it's... The Bears, like, it's, it's funny. When they were just really good on defense, I think that's when DeRuiter was running things. They sort of fell off a little bit last year. They didn't like the offense all that much. But you thought that there was a lot of potential. When Garbers played in 2019, like, he was 7-0 and whenever he started or uh, played most of the game. They got to get some things working uh, on offense. I think they've made some some switches there, too. But they're, they're a dangerous team. I mean, they beat USC uh, a few years ago. Um, I Yeah, I... I'm not sure Cal's going to be. I like I like Garbers. I like what Cal, uh, you know, some of stuff he was doing on offense. But they did not look good last year. He just didn't look like he was uh, all together. But it's a weird COVID year. If you're a Garber, Garbers fan, like I was before, like you said, hey, he was the was. Are you was, not anymore? Uh, you know, he was a he was a league MVP <laughs> in 2019. They just didn't look the same. According to you, yeah. Well, I mean, when he was in, they won. Okay. Uh, but so yeah. Well, uh, with the whole offseason and everything, um, you're hoping that they're going to you know, be a better-looking squad. Just they, It didn't quite look right. But I, I think DeRuiter was a really good defensive coordinator. And when they kind of gave him that co-defensive role, they, the defense didn't look quite the same. They could make an Oregon defense uh, really dangerous. But Keith Hayward, you know, he was at USC. He was at Oregon. He's now at Cal. So there's some definitely some Such swapping going on. So we'll see how those coaching staffs uh, play out with like that way. Was that, was that an athletic dra- director trade? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I don't know we'll give that. you a DC for your DB coach. <laughs> uh, can you throw in a player to be named later in the transfer <laughs> portal? Thanks. 
Ryan, did you say that Cal didn't like to offense? Is that what you're we, phrasing? That was, that was our joke. Oh, that okay. was like because they they were so good on defense. I think it was like 2018 or something when they were like so good on defense. We were like, don't even try to offense. Just let the <laughs> Just defense the score. Offense. It's yeah. a verb now. <laughs> Got it. Just wanted to make sure. We actually have a caller on the line, and I believe he is has some questions about the schedule. So let's go to him. It's sure. our buddy John from Glendora. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, what's up, guys? Ready for Ryan to roast me again today? <laughs> uh, but, but I gotta say, finally the Pac-12 got it right with giving SC a favorable schedule to actually play in a Final Four. That's all I really have to say. They finally got it right. No weird games in November. They're ready to play ball. Finally. <laughs> Thanks, John. John, you're so wrong. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not like you have to like put out the red carpet for USC, but would they put Alabama in the weird spot like Shotgun said, where you have the the road game followed by a Friday road game? And you know, would they every year have you know Washington, you know, Oregon getting a bye week before they play Washington? Like all this stuff for teams that are in potent, you know, they're they're they have the potential to win the conference. And then potentially make the college football playoff. Don't put them in weird spots, and that's the Pac-12 did that over and over and over again. So you, it's not, you want to protect your marquee teams. Just don't want to put them in harm's way. The Pac-12, I don't think it was deliberate. I mean, they do like you know, they Larry Scott wanted parity and all that, which wasn't going to get you the college football playoff. But I think they were just incompetent. They didn't realize that they were putting their best teams in harm's way, and it was just going to be a, a you know a really. It's harder to win. With all when you have these weird schedule snafus that the Pac-12 did. So I'm glad they cleaned it up. I think the USC administration had a lot to do with that. They were in the Pac-12's ear to like, look, the whole reason why you guys are playing college football is because our players wrote a letter to the governor of California. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened. You're not going to give us any weekday games this year. And like Dan Weber said it for years, right? Just the Pac-12. I mean, USC had to call the Pac-12. Like, yeah, we're not playing on Fridays or Thursdays. Okay, cool. Bye. Um, I feel like that's what happened. And, and kudos to, to USC for doing that. Finally acting like a blue blood program. There you go. Thank it, it, I think what Ryan, to make it a little bit more succinct, is that it wasn't sabotage. It was just incompetency yeah. from the Pac-12. Um, they just continued to put teams in, you know, favorable teams in disadvantaged positions. Uh, thank you, John, for the call. We appreciate it. Now, I don't necessarily want to put you guys on the spot, but Chris Trevino did his way too early predictions, and he predicted USC would go nine and three. What yeah. are your thoughts on that? I think that'd be a disappointing season. Um, I kind of feel like just you know, I said last in 2020, I looked at the schedule, I'm like, I think they're going to go undefeated, and they did in the regular season. Um, and you know, they they didn't get to play uh, Colorado, so we see what what happened there. My gut here is like over a 12 game schedule. I think USC is going to be favored in 11 of them. Uh, they'll probably lose on the road to Notre Dame. You know, with the uh, the question about the Clay Helton factor, it's still a Clay Helton coach team. They've improved everything around Clay Helton, right? They've they've really fixed it all. Yeah. But he's still running the program. We've just seen this over and over again. I don't see them. I mean, they were really lucky to go undefeated in 2020. Uh, you know, they got a lot of breaks in that schedule. Where you know, playing Utah in Week Three. It was Utah's first game. You know, like you knock out the starting quarterback in like the first quarter. All these things went into USC's favor. I think over a 12 game schedule, you're not going to get those kind of breaks all the time. I think it's a 10 and 2 kind of thing, which still is going to be a, you know, somewhat disappointing depending on how they look at stuff. Cause it, I think there's going to be some really easable, 
easily Easable. winnable games. Easable games. <laughs> easily winnable games on that. So I think ten and two, nine and three would definitely be disappointing. Ten and two is sort of like, eh, uh, it's okay. You know, I, you know, you're not going to fail, but it's not, it's not great. Shotgun. You said over a twelve game schedule, you don't think all the breaks are going your way. It didn't go all the way over a six game schedule. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you end the season with, hey, we're going to bring Oregon in, and they don't have to play the week before. Uh, but is it cool, you guys? Uh, I know you're playing a you know a short week last week, but let's just do it again. You know th- that's did not go their way. Now a lot yeah. of the stuff pre. Wow, wow. Like, oh, yeah. We can't start this again. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. It it was bad scheduling. We, you have to agree with they that. They lost Ryan. to Oregon State and Cal. Cal's only win was against Oregon. No it, excuses. Beat them. You're in the Coliseum. Beat them. I don't care if it's on one day rest. Beat them. Your conference shouldn't put you in that situation. Cal had one win. Your conference shouldn't put you Oregon. in that situation. Cal's the only win should not was put you Oregon. in that situation. You're an undefeated <laughs> division champ, and you have to play someone that gets extra rest coming in when you're on double short weeks. Yep, doesn't make sense. And for didn't the even know until the Monday. Yeah, it doesn't, oh, okay. it doesn't make sense for the conference to do that. Now, this goes. This is the same thing as basketball with the basketball. You know, not being able to. Uh, you know, Oregon getting the, the advantage <laughs> there too. Yep, is. Hey, you could have still won. You could have won at Utah if you're the basketball team. Football team, you still could have beat Oregon. But the conference didn't put you in a good situation in that championship game. Yeah. Ryan, stop making me agree with Shotgun. So don't say that all you you know, over a twelve game schedule you may not catch all the breaks. They didn't catch them all in a six game schedule. But they caught a lot more breaks. They caught all of the stuff before the season much more. So then, you know, during the season, the Washington one was was the big one there. But I mean, COVID. Utah one. Excuse their me. first three games, there was the opener for all of their opponents. I mean, there was a they lot of no breaks. They had no control over that. But those are breaks. They didn't have any control over playing Oregon on six days rest instead of seven. Like it's you know, but most of the breaks went USC's way, and you end up not having to play the team with the better record in the North. So that's a break too, and they didn't take advantage of it. You got to beat a three and two Oregon team that lost to Oregon State and lost to Cal. So. USC didn't do it. That's on you. That's shame on Three you. Three games in 13 days versus one game in 21 days. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this like, is so wah. tense. Yeah. Uh, expectation shotgun. You said on the pod, but I want to hear it again. What are you expecting for 2021? I, I wasn't prepared on the pod to be throwing out <laughs> wins and losses like that. I, I think there, there's so much that's going to happen before the season even sure. starts. Because I think Gerard talked about this. I think it was on signing day. But there's going to be another wave of the transfer portal. And how does that reshape rosters? And how do things change as far as the numbers with the NCA, where they tell you know teams as far as future years? So you're depending on how many players you want to bring in. I think there's a lot of changes that are still going to happen in that regard. Um, but USC has the capability, and you know I would put them down for a win probably in every game. Uh, there's a couple of games where I go, if they lose, I could see that. But... You know, I picked them to win the Notre Dame game when, we were on, when I was put on the spot and unrightly put on the spot in the podcast. Oh, deep breath. <laughs> you knew we were going to talk about the schedule. You're fine. I didn't realize I was making picks for all of them anyways. But, no, I, I think that they can beat Notre Dame. I think they'll go there. Notre Dame doesn't have their quarterback, you know, with Ian Book being gone. I think that's the big hurdle for them to get over. And I think that USC is taking all the right steps as far as physicality, as far as defense. We still got to see it on the field. I mean, that's, that's the big thing. Still got to see them on the field. But I think they're taking the right steps. We'll see when we actually see them in person. And hopefully that'll be in the spring. Sounds positive. So what was your prediction for the... the uh... <laughs> he ducked around it. Yeah. I, 
I don't know what their final record is going to be. It's the Venn diagram of, of do, it's the Venn diagram of hypotheticals that Shotgun hates. Yeah. So this is like in that range. He yeah. he hates this. Does you have a you have a gut? Fourteen and zero. Are you happy now? Yeah, hey, that I mean, <laughs> that's I think that's achievable. Okay, I don't think so either. That's a national championship. Yeah. Anyway, let's switch gears before we have a caller and then we also have some questions. But before we get into that, USC picked up a commit on Friday. Four-star tied in Kean Burnett. I believe I said that right. All these names. I'm sorry. Uh, Shotgun, what is USC getting in Burnett? So Burnett's a, you know, jumbo wide receiver, basically. You know, when he's come to USC's camps uh, multiple times in the summer, back when there were summer camps prior to COVID. Um, so, and he's always worked out as a wide receiver. Now in his high school career, he just moved to tight end, I believe last year. So that's still a work in progress as far as him becoming a blocker and that, uh, but he's going to come in and be, you know, the Drake London type. That's the role they envision him for. Now they want him to be able to block more than Drake London. That's their goal with all the tight ends that they're bringing in, but they are all Michael Trigg, uh, Lake McCree. Those guys are all jumbo athletes that they think can catch the ball and be dynamic mismatches over the middle and then they hope they can block as well so that they don't have to take them off the field because that's the big thing. Graham Harrell wants a tight end on the field. He does. He wants one. They may not throw him ball, but they want him on the field because they want to be able to block and then continue to go tempo and split them out instead of having to make a personnel adjustment and then bring in a Drake London type uh, and take the tight end out. So they want to be able to find that guy that can do both. Now, uh, Seth Dagey, he was at Texas Tech. He was with Cliff Kingsbury, I believe, um, when they had, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, but the Mackey Award winner, they mm-hmm. had Cliff Kingsbury, Kingsbury's first season, Jason Morrow. Uh, so he, they threw him the ball over 100 times. So he was a dynamic mismatch, and that's what they hope the tight end can be. He can block a little bit, but then they put him out there, and he can run routes and make people look silly. So that's what they want their tight ends to be. That's where Keon Burnett, that's where he's going to fit in as far as as, uh, on the roster and what they're expecting out of him when he gets to USC. Ryan, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think they, you know, used the whole Drake London thing. Um, You know, hey, here's the role that you can play. It was down to Arizona State, Arizona uh, in USC, his dad uh, played at Arizona, I believe, and there was a you know a lot of ties there. Jed Fish is you know get a lot of momentum, I think. You know, for a team that's on a 12-game losing streak, he's creating a lot of buzz uh, around Arizona, so that's good. So it was a, I think it was a good win for USC. Someone with a lot of upside. I think he was at Jay Sarah before. Before you know, we hadn't seen him all last year. He's at Servite now, and they should use him quite a bit uh, as a pass catcher. Uh, Greg Biggins talked about you know maybe. You know, developing his hands a little bit more, make sure his catch radius is is bigger. But like Shotgun said, I think it's a matchup kind of nightmare thing where you saw Drake London make some of those big plays, jump over people and stuff. I think he's got that same sort of potential. So yeah, it's weird to see like all you know tight ends. There's like a whole bunch of tight ends on the roster where USC hasn't used them that much. So I think how USC's offense runs the football, do they do it more effectively with tight ends blocking, and are they used as pass catchers a lot more than what we've seen in the past? I think that's going to help uh, keep guys like this committed because they brought some some you know young studs in in 2021. They're going to try to bring you know keep doing that, but I think you have to show some success from that position because they just really didn't have that much of it the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. He kept this one pretty close to the vest. I know yeah. it wasn't really known where he was going to go. When's the last time we saw that shotgun? The secret. I hit. mean, it happens. It just it depends. Does. Depends on the individual recruit and. Um, you know, how much they want to kind of be a surprise because sometimes you have coaches that, you know, that, that they don't even tell the coaches until they make their announcement. 
Um, so a lot of times kids will, you know, inform the coaches of both the team that they're going to and also the teams that, you know, that were in contention that they're not going to let them know like, hey, I'm not going here so that they can continue to build out their um, you can build out their recruiting classes and stuff. So when there's like a signing day decision, a lot of times those are known. But sometimes kids just want like, I'm going to surprise everybody. So I'm going to hold on to this until the very end. Um, I believe Justin Flo was, you know, pretty close to the vest until the very end too, even though we had a pretty good feeling he was going to Oregon, but he didn't really say anything until that final moment as well. And even Corey Foreman, I mean, USC, they didn't tell anyone at USC. He told one or two people at USC, but, you know, some of the coaches were finding out for the first time if, if Clay Helton, uh, if, you, if you believe Clay Helton, uh, that on when he announced on the All-American Bowl that that was, that was the first time that some of those coaches were hearing on the USC staff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I respect it. I respect being able to keep a secret these days. It's kind of hard. Not easy. Not easy. I've always wondered if there is a recruit that says basically, like, Coach, I'm coming here. If word gets out, I'm not coming here anymore. Like, that. that's something that I, I'm, you know, the type of person that would do that. But like, if, <laughs> if, you, if you've got two teams that you're really like, I really like both of these, all right, this is where I'm going. Let them know, but then I want it to be a big thing. I want it to be a surprise. And if it somehow gets out, if you let it out, then – you know, I'm going the other place. It would be telling about that stuff. So you never know. Alrighty, we have a live caller on the line. Let me pull you up. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, uh, my name is Gil, or like Gilbert from Sherman Oaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am really pissed. Well, first of all, Keely, you're the greatest. <laughs> Ryan and Shotgun, you're okay. <laughs> all right, Thank uh, you. but Thanks, Gil. Um, I am. I am really upset, pissed. I'm a traditionalist. Been watching, not watching, but following uh, SC football for 68 years. Yeah, you heard that right. (laughs) Since I was 12, since I was 12 years old. And I'm I'm a fanatic when it comes to uh, SC football. Um, I'm very upset that UCLA is not the last game of the regular season. I'm a traditionalist. Even in basketball, we happen to have UCLA as the last game of the, of the scheduled season. I'm really upset that that's not the last game of the season, whether it's away or home. And, and that is basically my complaint. I hope you take it with a grain of salt, but, but it is what it is. And, uh, and that's what I'm upset about. Like I said, I love all you guys. And well, keep up the good work. Thanks, Thanks Gil. Gil. Well, you we don't love me and Shotgun. It. You love Keeley. Like, you know, I mean, we're, you can't we're argue mediocre. with him, really. First of all, well, quick, quick math in my head. No Gil's day. 80 years old. Like, Shouts to Gil. That's a lot of f- fire. I love that. <laughs> like He's great into it. Love it. It's not always UCLA at the end of the season, Gil. Sometimes it's Notre Dame. And it's been other teams, too. It's not every year it's the rival. I, I forget what the last time it wasn't one of those two teams. But, yeah, I mean. 2009. 2009. Was it who they play? It was uh, I believe it was Arizona State. Don't call me on yeah, that. Yeah, some kind of weird, mm-hmm. weird thing there. But uh, you know, the, the duly noted is, though, Gil. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame is a, when Notre Dame plays out here. It's always the last game. Um, you know, that was the whole arrangement with the Notre Dame game that USC would play earlier in the season when they play at Notre Dame, and then Notre Dame would be able to play later in the season because of the weather for both of those those schools. Um, but you look at it, and part of it is once the Pac-12 went to nine-game schedules, it threw a lot of things off. You know, the nine-game conference schedule, that's why USC plays Stanford the second week of the season a lot of the time. Because to be able to uh, maintain that rivalry, 
that Northern California matchup between USC and Stanford, and for Stanford and USC both to play Notre Dame, it takes a lot of the maneuverability out of the schedule. So, you know, it forces that really early season game. And, you know, you go, well, you know, do you really want to be playing against Stanford in the second week rather than having a second non-conference game? That's kind of the way things shake out when you you set up games like the Notre Dame game. That r- reduces the maneuverability of the schedule for USC. So they either have to play, you know, basically they could have played BYU in front of the Notre Dame game. They could have, you know, instead of having the bye week there, but then you're playing 12 weeks in a row. So, you know, it comes down to kind of what you can do with the maneuverability because they're so limited by the nine-game conference schedule. Mm -hmm. Ryan? Yeah, no, I think that was, like we said, that was scheduled in like 2013 or whatever. They kind of go through it. It's it's tough with BYU being an independent. You're trying to fit it in. Uh, It was multiple trips to the Coliseum. I forget if it was two or three. And then one, uh, you know, to Utah to play BYU there. So, yeah, I but, mean, but that's not necessary when they create the the matchup. It's not necessarily there's not a date necessarily set. Sometimes there is, but yeah, I thought I they believe... set a date for that one. Really? Like, okay, uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, but it was not set like this year. Like it was set a while. We back. knew it was going to be November. I know that. So, yeah. I so. mean, I get it. I get it, Gail. I I know the feeling of seeing a UCLA game at the end. USC UCLA. That was my thing growing up. So I understand. And like I always say. Free therapy. Call us. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm going to go into questions. First one is from Mark, who says, wouldn't it be smarter to start spring football as soon as possible with community case numbers low right now? By waiting, don't you risk those numbers going back up? It's interesting. So, I mean, I think by waiting, the the Pac-12 in the fall thought, oh, things were going to get better. Unfortunately, they waited until things got worse. Uh, But for this, I think it's more about setting things up their feeling is that things were going to continue to get better with more vaccines and everything coming out. The longer you could wait, that you would be better off uh, for spring football. And uh, it makes sense to me. You don't wait too long. Any kind of injuries in the spring obviously could carry over into the season. But I I think it was pretty smart to go from early March or whatever uh, to late March or early April to start. So I, I don't have any issue with when they're doing it. Here's some advantages to pushing it back. One, the potential of you know the vaccine and everything and things getting better, and we hope that's what the case is. But also the advantage for USC is you have a new strength and conditioning staff, so more time for them to work with them before you get to the field. So that's a positive there for them. Uh, and I, the problem with you can't really – it's too big of an operation to just be like, all right, let's, let's change our mind and let's do it right now. Just because there's the lead-up time into it, there's the difference with conditioning because you set a schedule, how you're going to lead into spring camp. Um, there's also just the logistics of it, getting the right people on campus and all those type of things. So it's not – you've seen – I guess, thankfully, the, the Pac-12 has been really flexible with some of the games, basketball, uh, being able to re- reschedule things on short notice. And you see that a lot of times in some other sports. But you can't really – spring camp is such a big thing. It's not just one practice that you're moving around. It's a, you know, a, a six-week operation, actually. So I don't think you can just make that quick switch when you see that the numbers are down right now, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, also, you get more, I don't know if you guys mentioned it, but you get more time for the bodies to rest because it was a later season. So it works out that way as well. That's true, yeah. I mean, it's you're, the season would normally end at a, you know, a few weeks earlier. You're going to start it a few weeks later. That makes sense, too. 
We and it's better because the basketball team may, you know, play longer in the we, season. We're not so. mentioning basketball for the rest not, of the show. I'm going to keep doing it. Just we're not to, mentioning just basketball. For you, Ryan. We're going to mute him if he's mentioning <laughs> basketball anymore. Good luck. And yeah. and for the uh, beat reporters, you're not covering the first week of spring camp and the Pac-12 tournament, so it, it works out that way. Yeah. Sorry, boss man. Uh, Jasper Smith said, "Will the wide receiver core be better in 2021 versus 20, 2020, assuming Kyle Ford is healthy?" No. Because no Tyler Vons, no Amon Ross St. Brown. I think you're, you know, that's proven production. I think there's a lot of, there's a bunch of great players on this squad. Uh, and they could get some transfers. Puka Nakua just entered the transfer portal. Who knows? Maybe he ends up at USC. But no, I think the 2020 wide receiver group would be better. Yeah, I think so. I'll just those two guys, so much experience, and you know they can do different things. I think Katie Nixon is a great fill-in to potentially fill in a role of Amon Ross St. Brown and do some of the similar things. But uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is a real deal. We had a question from Ian on Facebook who said, uh, "No Washington or Oregon on the schedule. USC obviously needs to take advantage of that." Correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the, for the people that are on the Peristyle message board, if you're not. Remember, you make sure you go check it out. You guys like chatting on YouTube and Facebook here. You can do it all all week long uh, on the Peristyle on uscfootball.com. Become a VIP member. It's definitely worth the money. Go check it out. But they're talking about that stuff all the time, how Clay Elton and USC were like really lucky to avoid a lot of those games. And you have to take advantage of that. It would have been tough in 2020 if you had the full schedule to show everyone, hey, we got this new defensive staff with the second year of this offense. Things are going to be rolling. Uh, they didn't really get a chance to prove it because all of those tough games were removed from the schedule. And now this year, you know, you expect the team to be better, but there are not as many opportunities to be tested at a high level. So you sort of avoid all that, and you just have to take advantage of it. You have to go out and, and beat those games. You know, you don't have to play at Oregon. You're playing Oregon State. You don't have to play Washington. You're playing Washington State. So, yeah, I think you have to go – USC has to go through and take advantage of all that opportunity. They have to take advantage of it, but I think it's very telling of where the program is at that you don't want marquee matchups on there that would help you as far as potentially getting into the college football playoff. Uh, you're worrying about, well, what can we actually win rather than, ooh, let's get that team on the schedule because that's going to make us look that much better. Yep. Uh, we had a question from Pooter Williams who says, Hey, Ryan and Shotgun, who will rush for 1,000 yards in 2021 for USC? No one. Uh, one of the the ball boys running around, <laughs> you know, going after the the extra points and stuff. Maybe I, no USC's. I don't think they've got a, a running back that's going to rush for a thousand because the, the one thing that maybe is Mike Jinks talking about that they're going to you know basically stick with one guy. We'll see if that happens. There's been things that have been said in the past that you go, okay, we'll see, and it didn't happen. So that's one of the things. If they do that. Then sure, Vi or Stephen Carr, whoever wins that, or um, Keontae Ingram coming in, then yeah, if you're getting the majority of the carries and you get 20 carries a game, sure, I think there's potential. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's unproven. If USC has a great run game in 2021, that's an awesome sign. I think Scott on uh, Periscope was saying he wants this team to be a violent running team. You have, uh, you know, Clay McGuire, the new offensive line coach. You're expecting the run game to be better. Um you got to replace Elijah Vera Tucker. Not sure what you're going to do at left tackle just yet. They need to be effective running the football. I don't think it's going to be with a thousand yard rusher, but you need to have a pretty good you know yards per carry average. And you just didn't need when you're when it's third and one, fourth and one, just be able to pick up uh, the first down. So I want them to be a lot more effective, but I don't think that's going to equate to a thousand yard rusher. Just the way we've seen 
things develop with Graham Harrell's offense the last couple of years. All right, and you already touched on this, but Andy on Facebook wanted to know, do you see Puka Nakua actually coming to USC? I don't think so. I haven't. I mean, he just entered the transfer portal today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of talk about, you know, BYU or Utah. Um, he was a commit at one time. Didn't announce that he was uh, decommit and signed uh, with Washington. And, I, you know, he's had some injury issues there. I really liked him, though, as a player. I mean, I remember covering him at the Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii. Just great kid. He's probably, you know, he could probably be a broadcaster someday. Um, but I, I, I'm not seeing that one happen. But who knows? I mean, he was a commit to USC at one time. But my guess would be probably ends up at like Utah or something. Shotty? I don't think he's going to Utah. His brother, his older brother just um, went to the transfer portal earlier this offseason. Oh, that's from true. Utah. Yeah, that's true. Um, they've had some issues with the wide receiver uh, position, the wide receiver coach, I think, is being fired they, or something. They just lost their wide receiver coach, yeah. So that... Lost is probably not the right word yeah. for that one. I, the, apparently, there was some strange situation there. So he is gone. I don't know exactly what happened there, if he was fired or whatnot. Um, but the, I don't think he's going to end up there. But then it becomes a question of do they want to play together? Do they want to be a package deal? Because I don't, you know, I think USC would have room for Puka. I don't think they have room for Samson and Puka at the same time. Samson, I think, would be a graduate transfer, and I just don't know where he would fit in the USC on the USC depth chart wide receiver position. So, I, if it's a if it's a package deal, I don't think USC is in the mix there. We had multiple crowd questions. One from Blaze, who I believe is talking about 2021. He says, will fans be allowed 20% like the Dodgers if LA County is in the red tier? And then Jasper Smith wanted to know, will theme with theme parks opening up uh, soon in Southern California, will you guys be allowed access for spring football? Both good questions. Yes. Um, I'm For the fall, I'm guessing there's going to be some fans in the Coliseum. Yeah. It's the way things are trending now. The fact that USC announced that they would have in-person classes in the fall it's you know if you can have a bunch of guys in a chemistry lab uh, you know in a building you can't have people in the coliseum watch a football game they're a little different ryan but yeah it's a little different one's inside one's outside you know like <laughs> one's so, educational it's educational to watch a football game sure you know? sure uh, so i my guess is going to be yes uh they're gonna have that i we haven't heard anything as far as uh spring practice goes i know arizona state started um, they're allowing like a rotation of reporters. So I think four reporters can go to every practice. So it'll be different um, every game, I mean, every every practice. session. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Will USC do something like that? Or the easy thing to do is to continue not allowing media in. So my gut is going to say that's probably what's going to happen. But if they want to be a little proactive and say, hey, you know, it would make sense to let these guys watch and report on what's going on. We got all these new coaches, new strengths that like they want to see what things are looking like. Yeah, I think that's a smart thing to do. But will USC do it? Mm, not sure. Optimistic. Yeah, the the question is letting people on campus. I think the Coliseum actually is a different, it's a separate situation, a separate yeah. entity there. Um, because, you know, I cover college baseball. So there's three schools in Southern California right now uh, that I know of that aren't allowing anyone on campus. So LMU, I can't cover games there because they're not allowing anyone on campus at all. Um, no outsiders you know, allowed. So Fullerton and Irvine as well. And it's really weird. Irvine is allowing scouts to come, but they're not allowing media, which makes no damn sense at all. But uh, that's happening there. So we'll see how things continue to evolve. The interesting thing for the Pac-12 is that the conference tournament, basketball tournament, the families are going to be allowed. So that was a you know a, a big concern during the football season. It never happened. Well, that's going to or happen you know at Arizona, 
But Las Vegas, you know, the Pac-12 is allowing family members to come. So I think it's starting to gradually go that direction for the conference as a whole. So I think that's a, a good sign that there will potentially be fans at games in, in the fall. Mm -hmm. Mark Watkins wanted to know, is the plan for Drake Jackson to stay at the same weight he was at last year, or do they want him to gain back at least some of the weight he lost? Hmm. I haven't heard anything different. Yeah. Um, and he looks the same from the snippets yeah. we've seen. So I would assume he's going to stay there. They really like the athleticism at that spot. I think it was an adjustment period for him a little bit to play at a different weight and to play a little bit different when you put the pads on and start hitting people. That's when there's the adjustment period. Um, so, you know, he, he wasn't great last year. He was he showed some flashes of being really good, but he, he wasn't great. And I think he has greatness in him. So it'll be interesting to see when you line up Corey Foreman, you know, on the opposite side of him, potentially in some pass rush situations. And he's, you know, trying to hold off Corey Foreman as well for his starting position. Um, I, I think that maybe we'll see him take his game to the next level. Ryan, any thoughts? Yeah, I, my guess is he's going to probably stay the same. And, you know, they... It looked a little bit better as the season wore on. Um, I don't feel like they're abandoning that experiment. That's something that Orlando wanted. I think they'll continue. He'll probably continue at that weight is my guess. But we haven't heard like Shotgun said. Um, Greg Miller said, what would you say if USC loses to San Jose State week one? I'd say emergency podcast time. First of all, <laughs> we got to do an emergency podcast. Um, Brett Brennan would be number one on the list to replace Clay Helton. And, you know, I mean, I think at that point, the administration has to say Clay Helton will not be the head coach uh, for the, at least for 2022 and then at probably some point in 2021. If you lose to San Jose State, you're not going 11-1 and winning the rest of those games. So there's major problems if a team with USC's talent loses the opener to San Jose State. All those things that were supposed to be fixed could not have been fixed if you're going to lose that game. They're just not that good of a team that a team like USC should lose to them. So major, major problems. Sound the alarm. Hit the iceberg, Titanic, all that stuff, gone. I mean, this Shut isn't it. your older brother, San Jose State team. This isn't a team that's going winless um, throughout the season. They are actually a decent team. They are. Um, you need to win the game. Uh, I don't think there's any excuse for USC losing in that game. But what would what would I say? It'd be like, they lost. <laughs> and probably there's going to be the same mistakes that have been caught, you know, causing USC. You'd be like, oh, they didn't protect Keaton Slovis well enough. The offensive line struggled. They couldn't run the ball. And they picked up unnecessary penalties. So, you know, it would probably be the same thing. And, you know, how many times have we said, oh, this is the same team we've seen? Oh, this is the same team we've seen. For yeah. someone who doesn't like hypotheticals, you really bought into that shotgun. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Uh, Cooley White said, do you see USC's special teams winning a game for the team? An improvement from last year, question mark? Their special teams were better. Uh, yeah, didn't lose the game. How about that? Yeah, like they were, they avoided losing games, which that had happened in the past. Um, yeah, they, there's enough athletes there. They have the potential to, uh, to, to win a game for USC. I, I just think they're a well coached special teams unit that we saw last year as opposed to the previous couple of years. I'll take that one just because it's 12 games, you know, and win a game. That's one big play, really, in special teams lingo. I mean, Gary Bryant Jr.'s return against UCLA really set that game up. They didn't huge. win him the game. Now, if he takes it to the house, you would probably say that. But, you know, they could get one big punt return that changes the game or a block kick at some point. Yeah, I think they could, you could say that if you want to classify it that way. Reaching the top of the hour, we only have a couple more questions. So if you want to get any rapid-fire questions in either on Facebook or YouTube or Periscope for Ryan's people, 
uh, be sure to do that. We had a question uh, from, I believe, Jasper Smith, who said no. Oh, wait, no. Sorry, wrong one. I <laughs> don't want to read that one. Uh, <laughs> Dallas said, Shotgun, who on the offensive line will get the first pancake? Which game will it come in? <laughs> Ooh, first pancake. I like that. San Jose State. Someone will get a pancake in the first game. Come on, guys. They're not that bad. They're not They're not good, but they're not that bad. Someone will. I'm going to go with Andrew Voorhees. He's got a little mean streak oh. in him. I think he'll finish somebody off. Hmm. Interesting. I like that. Maybe Jalen McKenzie gets a pancake in that one. Is that, I, I, is that your official guess, Ryan? Sure. San Jose State. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, I don't have any more questions for us, so uh, let me keep looking. Ryan, anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? So we didn't up? really get to talk about the uh, the winter workouts, so maybe just do that real Sure. Uh, yeah, briefly. you had a, a little spot in the war room about that. Yeah, I put some stuff in the war room on Friday, so I tried to reach out some different sources uh, at USC. Um, you know, people are familiar with what's going on in these winter workouts. It's Robert Steiner, the new strength and conditioning coach. Uh, running those, so make sure you check out the War Room. We get a lot of details in there. But I did talk on the record with Isaiah Polamau, USC's safety, uh, redshirt junior captain, and asked them about you know the differences between what the workouts were like with Aaron Osmus and what the workouts are like now with Robert Steiner. He said definitely that it's more a lot more core workout. They're working on their explosiveness, and he said you know with Aaron Osmus there was a lot of stats. There was a lot of like benches and I don't think he mentioned squatting but other people had talked about that with me other sources like they were doing squats and benches it was a lot of like kind of power lifting stuff and seemed to be across the board so you could be a defensive back and you were doing that kind of stuff uh not necessarily just the offensive defensive linemen there's a lot of different ways to train athletes for college football I'm not an expert in those but just from talking to uh what Isaiah Polamau was doing and then you know some of the other sources I talked to they seem pretty excited with how Robert Steiner was doing the training. And if you watch some of the social media, social media videos with some of the drills they're doing, like flipping over a big, you know, tractor trailer tire thing, <laughs> and then pushing a sled and running through cones. And it was a lot of, you know, like explosiveness and agility and things like that. And it was different. And I feel like, you know, Aaron Osmus didn't really get, you know, a fair shake with, you know, coming in and really not, not having a lot of time to prepare for that first spring and then having a, uh, you know, a COVID weird season where he didn't have guys in the weight room. And, um, you know, he was more of a, I want guys benching. I want guys uh, doing squats and you need all that equipment. And they couldn't do it with all that equipment. And I think like, a guy like Robert Steiner, he could do a lot more like body weight sort of stuff and sort of get the guys ready. That really wasn't, you know, Aaron Osmus's style. So I, th I don't think what Aaron Osmus wanted to do and a pandemic where you didn't have these full weight rooms to work with worked out all that well. But the, the people I talked to, they all seem pretty excited. No, usually people are excited about a new strength and conditioning coach. It's always like, everything's amazing. It's so much better than it was before. But just talking to people, they just seem like it's going to be a little bit more football oriented than what they were maybe doing in the past. Yeah, just a little preview. Chris and I talked to Brett Nealon and we asked him about the the winter workouts and he was like, they are whipping our butts. So oh, nice. <laughs> he sounded like pretty impressed by it. And that's coming out this week. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Uh, but yeah, good good reviews so far from the strength and conditioning program. Uh, we had a couple of questions filter in. One was from Hugh on Facebook and he says, uh, actually Corey, who says, uh, why doesn't USC use the diamond end zone anymore? No the idea. design. At first, I was like, "Is this a play that I don't remember?" No, they used to have it. I forget when when that was. Um, Early nineties, last yeah. time I remember seeing it in video and stuff. I think some of it was like. Was I born? 
Yeah, you were probably <laughs> born. I mean, because when like the the Raiders were there, like when you're sharing the stadium, there was like some differences, things that they couldn't necessarily do. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. We could we could ask someone about that, but it's been a while since I think we've seen that that. Uh, and they had the Rams there for a while, you know, for a while. So it was so, it was hard to kind of do the paint in there because you had to redo the paint over and over again, you know. Yeah, that was paint over things. Rough. Yeah, I think they like the the full color of the end zone. I think you prefer that if you're a team, just because it differentiates the field, and makes it easier for the officials to make a call correctly as well. I think. But you couldn't really paint the whole end zone because you had to repaint the whole end zone with the Rams and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I think. Um, Andrew says eight and five or better for USC this season. Is that a question? Eight. Yes, it was yeah. a question. Either uh, or. Better, yeah, I would say better than eight and five. Better be better than eight and five. Trek Ranger just said offensive line all caps question mark. Yes, Trek Ranger. They, they do have one. They have they, one. They do have <laughs> they one. Do. I mean, a question they from... even have a coach for it now. They have a coach of the they offensive do. line. We don't know who the left tackle is going to be. That's the biggest question on the offensive line. Yes. I tried to get Brett Neal on to talk about it. He didn't fully know yet, so we'll see about that. Shotgun, uh, John Wilner just tweeted out the uh, bracket for the Pac-12 tournament if you want to take a look at that. But I think we already know what that was supposed to be in case you wanted to – visual representation yeah. uh, mark walken said keely on a scale of one to ten with ten being ryan abraham levels of hate how much have you hated <laughs> having to watch basketball now that you're doing instant analysis for usc basketball games i like watching basketball i don't hate it and it was fine it's it, what's funny is basketball is actually way easier to get like the narrative than football i feel like football is like a 100 mile an hour train if you're just coming in you have to be like this storyline and this and this but basketball you kind of get yeah. it a little bit easier 12 uh, players versus 85 yeah and i don't hate basketball but football mm. is the mm. we the, someone mm. roll back the tape to the beginning the butter of the show <laughs> is bread it's like we you know put the butter on the bread with football the like, butter is bread it's, it's like basketball <laughs> is like the sprig of parsley on the you know on your entree but this is you want football to be the main thing. And if basketball goes out and makes the Final Four, fine. But they're always, you know, they should have won the, the conference this year right out. They did not. Um, they're probably not going to win the tournament. They're going to get ousted in the in the first round or second round of the tournament, the NCAA tournament. How would you know? Because that's what <laughs> always happens. So until that doesn't happen, we don't need to put all this focus on basketball. The Lakers could be wearing USC jerseys, right? And be like, they're getting knocked out for sure. LeBron who? <laughs> that would be right. <laughs> No, I, I picked LeBron's team to win the All-Star game, and they did. So. Yeah, someone asked, why aren't we watching the All-Star game? We technically are. Well, yeah, you yeah, just I had can't it up see there. it. Um, alrighty, any final thoughts, gentlemen? Shotgun, any questions, burning questions that I didn't get to that you want to share? No, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, the, the brackets were released, but the brackets were pretty much already known. Um, and the big question for USC, if they you know they beat Utah or, or Washington, whichever team is, can they get by Colorado? That'll be the big one in the Pac-12 tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, John wanted your prediction for what's going to happen in the tournament. I think that USC will make the championship game. Mm-hmm. Now, beating Oregon on a neutral site, that's going to be a different thing because I think Oregon's playing really, really well outside of that first half they played against USC. I think it's something like 10 or 11, 10 of 11 they've won or 11 of 12. Um, so I, I think they'll be tough. Dana Almond's 22 and 3 or 23 and 3 now in the month of March against Pac 12 opponents in the last five years. Alrighty, Ryan, any final thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing USC loses to Oregon in the finals again for the Pac-12 championship. So wow. I think that's going to happen again. Okay. We'll see. But I think they'll make a run. 
Okay. Hope, they, hope they win and we can talk about it. But nice, nice turnaround there. I don't no, believe that at I'm not, all. Like, it's not like I hate basketball, but I, there's all this there's all this off-season hype about basketball, and it's just not. There was not off-season hype. There always is. Oh, they signed the best recruiting class. Oh, they like, signed the best stuff. player ever. Yes, Evan yeah. Mobley. They I were think... also completely revamping the, the roster. What was they it? were pick sixth. That's not off-season hype. What was it a couple of years ago? It was supposed to be amazing. Didn't even make well, they would have been if, if D'Anthony uh, Melton, if Lynn Swan didn't D'Anthony Melton there. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> There's always they would have been good, except they weren't. Well, which, until they are good. You can say that about the about football it. team, too, with Lynn Swan. Yeah. Anyway, that's <laughs> going to wrap it up for this week's edition of Tunnel Vision. Programming note, next week is... Uh, Opposite Valentine's Day is daylight savings time day thing. So make sure you <laughs> set your clock for that. What a great ending to this show. That's going to wrap it up. That's Ryan. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining. This is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1 back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.